0: And Matt, you know, I'm really excited today for this episode because um, our guest has written her first book. Um, you remember that feeling, I imagine? I do, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, hers also has a really intriguing title, um, Talk Back Barbie, the Secret Service Edition. So, <laughs> you know, I, that might trump love and jello. I'm I don't know.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that is interesting. I'm really interested <laughs> it in hearing definitely
0: the... sucks you in and want to hear the backstory, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to introduce our guest, and um, then we're going to hear all about the backstory that she has. So, um, our guest with us today is the author of Talk Back Barbie Secret Service Edition, Uh, Lauren. Fernandez and Lauren we want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions.
2: Hi thank you so much for having me I'm really excited to be here.
0: Well um, we are so happy to have you and to hear this backstory. Um, When I first read the title I was thinking um, you know like Reese Witherspoon, Elle Woods and Legally Blonde uh, you know that kind of image came to my mind. So um, yeah you know, I, I'm reading that you grew up in Georgia and were a girly girl. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Georgia and, um, you know, how girly girl were you?
2: Of course. Actually, you hit the nail on the head. So when I thought about Talk Back Barbie, um, I really, when I read the book, it's, I really do feel like it's miscongeniality meets Legally Blonde. Uh, <laughs> so when I describe it to people that's kind of what I tell people is, you know, you're in for a ride. Um, and actually the name of the book, pop back Barbie came, that was my nickname in the secret service. So that wasn't something that I was just super creative with. That was actually my nickname. Um, but you're correct. I was born and raised in Georgia. Um, and I had lived here my whole life. And then uh, obviously DC for nine years, um, and moved back home here to Georgia, um, and that's where I'm recently I'm living now. And I was, a girly girl, I was. You can't really say I was a tomboy growing up because I loved makeup and I loved doing my hair um, and I loved heels. Um, I loved dresses, but at the same time, I loved playing outside. I loved being in the creek, um, playing in the mud. I didn't care if I got my hands dirty. I wasn't really big on washing my hands anyway, <laughs> but I just was a complete anomaly. Um, so it was very hard for me to say you know that i'm a tomboy because i just i loved girly things but at the same time i also just my dad raised my sister and i like boys he always wanted two boys and he got two girls instead so in his mind he was like well i'm just gonna treat these girls how i would if i had sons uh so he was you know hard on us and pushed us uh but in the long run it actually made us become tougher and stronger uh and that's how i really was motivated to get through the secret service is because of how he raised us. So.
0: Well, that's interesting. And so did, did you end up having any brothers?
2: No. Uh-uh. So it's just my sister and I, and, uh, and we were just very, uh, I remember a time when we were running track and, you know, my dad made a comment like, you know, you could have done so much better. That, 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 that was horrible. And he made comments like that to us all the time. on one of the girls on the track team was taken aback and he she literally like did like that and she was your dad says things like that to you and I looked at her and I said well I could have done better I go I just didn't you know I was I was slow today and I did so it's like I I never took offense to what he said it was just like he was real and he was telling me the truth and I was okay with that and but other people saw it and heard it and they were like uh, what? What is that? And and then this person, you know, on the other hand, was their parents were encouraging them to continue running, even though they were, you know, last place all the time and weren't very good athletes. And so I saw it from both sides where I was like, well, I I don't really want to be that person out there continuing to push myself, but be humiliated. You know, I'd rather keep pushing myself to be better every single time I get out there. And so that's kind of the motivation I have uh, even to this day.
0: Uh, So, when you were in high school, did you have um, several ideas of what career path you were going to go down?
2: Yeah, I mean, I went down, you know, I kind of decided I wanted to be a vet because I've always absolutely loved animals, and I still to this day love animals, Um, but... Once I discovered I had to put animals to sleep, uh, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. Now that I'm older, I think I could look back and handle that. But at that time, I I just didn't think I could handle it. So by age 10, I wanted to be an FBI agent. That was my dream. That was my goal. Um, I had my mind set, and there was no changing it. So from then on out, I watched every FBI, law enforcement, federal law enforcement show there was on TV. I read book after book uh, about the federal law, enfor- law enforcement, what it took to get into law enforcement. Um, I talked to cops all the time. I did intern internships um, during my while I was at college. Uh, I was just set and that was my goal. I mean, I was driven to become an FBI agent. Uh, and so ever since 10 years old, that was just my dream and my goal. Uh, and I wanted to do the violent crimes unit. So yeah, I know. It's like it's a different mindset, that's for sure.
0: So did your friends um, you know, I think, I'm guessing like, you know, early on a lot of people want to be all these, you know, cool sounding things. But <laughs> uh then as they get older it's kinda like, you know, did they really think you would go down that path?
2: Right. Uh I actually don't think people really did think i was gonna go down that path because i had a couple of friends in high school um and one of them wanted to be an fbi agent too so we talked about that uh and discussed it and of course he went a whole different path um and i met a girl in college who same thing she wanted to be an fbi agent she did not go down that route at was in the slightest uh she actually was just a stay home mom and so I was the only one I feel like that I spoke to that when we talked about it I set out and I never changed my mind and that's something that says a lot about my personality Um, I'm very determined so when I set my mind to something I really give it my all and I I set out to accomplish those goals and those dreams whether even if they change slightly I'm always trying to Do whatever I have my mind set on. So if I'm not, if my heart's not fully in it, it's very hard for me to give it 110%. That's why when I'm passionate about something and I love something, I give it my all. Uh, And it just is, that's just my personality.
0: So what um, skills or traits did you find in yourself that uh, you feel, you know, make a good FBI agent?
2: Uh, determination, strength, um, not just physical strength, even though you need a lot of that, uh, it's emotional strength. That's a really, really big one. And I've always been emotionally very, very strong. I was the type of person that could keep in my tears. I could not cry. Like I'm getting in trouble at school. And I mean, I am like, you know, you, you know, when you're about to cry, you feel it in your throat and your eyes start, you know, tearing up and I would get to all that that point but I would hold it in until like, I got into the car with my mom and then I would just burst out crying so I was just very I was very um, strong even in high school so you go through something like Secret Service training and you discover so much more about yourself that you never even knew existed things that you have to dig so deep that you're like uh, I mean I'm sure you know if, if anybody's talked to who's gone through military training it's very similar um where just the constant training and the camaraderie with your team and your class you just you you have a bond that you can't really describe because you go through things that not many people have gone through before and it just really does create this this strength in you that you either have it or you don't so that's something i would say um you know to you need to get into the fbi uh, or any type of federal law enforcement but You also need, so I said, what did I say? I said physical strength, emotional strength. Um, And obviously you just, you need a desire to not, you need to be able to compartmentalize. And what I mean by that is you can't take things always the way you see them. Sometimes you have to, you know, step back, evaluate the situation and then make a decision. And that was something I actually discovered I was not very good at within law enforcement because I am, I do make good decisions, but at the same time, I, I always have always looked at people as mostly people are good. And so from but it, but in the federal law enforcement, you need to automatically be like on alert, right? So you need to be like, people are bad until they prove me, prove me wrong. So it's a totally different mindset and mentality. And me, I want to be able to trust people and um, do things for people but you can't really do that unless you're letting your guard down and that can cause, you know, issues and problems. So there's a lot of things that I discovered and you can find it in the book. Um, when I went through training and when I was actually stationed at the White House, um, there's just so much you discover about who you are as a person and if this is good, a good fit for you or not.
0: So when you discovered these things about yourself, mm-hmm. um, Did you find that they carried over outside of work so that, you know, you're assuming like everybody is having to prove to you they're good before you
2: just assume that they are? Yeah, I think you start um, being a little bit more on alert. But because in my nature, I just, I always thought they were good, I I always had problem with that, meaning I would probably put myself in sticky situations where people were like, Lauren, didn't you think about that before you went into that situation? And I'm like, no, like most of the time people are going to do what's right, right? And um, so, yes, even in my personal life, I discovered that I was, I was, I'm a very trusting person. And I was like, I need to be more, you know, diligent about, I got, the difference is I, I have feelings about people, meaning I can see things that are off and weird. There's a story in the book about that. Um, how I had a stalker and um, he actually ended up getting kicked out of the secret service uh, when we were going through training and you know you just I had a vibe right away that something was off but you know I mean he's been vetted by the Secret Service so you've got to think okay maybe he's just odd or weird or maybe a social anxiety disorder or something like that but something kept nagging at me and I just I just was like this is not right Um, and they ended up discovering that, you know, the Secret Service decided it wasn't right either and that he was definitely not a good fit. And uh, he, we actually got him kicked out of the Secret Service. So...
0: So you're intuitive. You're able to read. Correct. People. I feel like you have that skill. I can see where that'd be very important. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Blacklist.
2: <laughs> oh, yes. I <laughs> love that show.
0: To that... Um, but you know so how different is it in reality versus like the TV shows that we see <laughs> or is it
2: yeah so the TV shows are what motivated me I mean I, I lived on CSI growing up Um, that was the the Las Vegas one it was my favorite show to this day it's this still my favorite show I mean, I'm talking I had the computer game I had the board game I had everything CSI Um, it is so different you now don't get me wrong it is it shows you, like, if you're doing forensics side of it, obviously you're going to be busy all the time because the lab is constantly running tests and stuff. But as far as being a police officer, and you, there's a lot of the, what the shows don't show you is the downtime, the boredom, the the stuff that you do behind the scenes when you're not chasing bad guys and you're not on a you know, high-speed chase or you're not dealing with fence jumpers uh, in, over the White House fence. These are things that, You know, the shows never show you. They show you all the excitement, the adrenaline rushes, everything that's going to make anyone and everyone want to be in law enforcement. That's what I love about my book so much, is all the Secret Service books out there are always serious stories. They're telling you about the Secret Service. They're telling you how, you know, awesome they were and how they protected the president and, you know, um, all this intense stuff that they went through and, you know, making it look like they – Are these like basically like a TV show? But in reality, my book shows the complete opposite side of that. So, my book shows you the boredom, the pranks we played on each other, the stuff we went through when we had nothing else to do, you know, the free time that we had at Fletzi and what we did to each other. I mean, just tortured each other, you know, Uh, me walking in when the guys, some of the guys are peeing on each other in the laundry room while we're at training. Like, I mean, I'm talking the stuff that nobody talks about, the stuff that nobody sees. Um, that's what my book is all about. It's showing you the complete other side of the secret service where you think it's a serious career, but in reality, there's a lot of joking and there's a lot of downtime and it's completely different than anything that you see on the TV, um, or in the movies. And as much as it is exciting and believe me, I loved having my badge and gun and being in DC, but there was a lot of downtime, like a lot of boredom, a lot of crossword puzzles. Um, you know, that kind of stuff that that people don't know about. And I just thought it'd be fun to shed light on that a little bit and laugh at it. So
0: what is it like to have someone else's life in your hands of like, you're responsible for protecting that person. And then, you know, to have a partner that you're, I imagine that like you must feel very close to and would have to have a trust for um, to work in this type of field. So what's that like? Okay.
2: So, the, so the White House was a little different than normal law enforcement um, experience. Like when you are in law enforcement, you obviously drive around. You have a partner. Um, as much as we do have um, Secret Service vehicles that patrol cars that do drive around the White House, you know, obviously protecting it, but. In reality, you actually are by yourself. So you're in posts around the White House by yourself and you rotate these posts. Um, So we would call each other on conference calls a lot. So I didn't have anybody like a partner that you would be really close with. Now, I had my classmates who were stationed at the White House with me um, that I was close with. But I didn't have like a partner, like you would say, you know, in the cop shows where they are really tight and they are literally like brother and sister, sister and sister, brother and brother. I mean that close knit relationship. So, th- so in the Secret Service is more of um, <clears throat> more of a loner job, in the sense of you know you're in this box, rotating posts um, kind of by yourself. And then if you're outside on like a footbeat or something, obviously you get a lot of the tourist questions and you get that kind of stuff. But there's it's, there's a lot of intensity to it too because, I mean, you're protecting the president of the United States, so you have a very serious job every single day that you step into your, your uniform and you go on duty um you know but at the same time you you know kind of maybe get bored or you are you just feel like goofing off that day you know you don't really want to be serious so there's just so much stuff that goes into it but yet you have to be you have to be on your guard um it's just it's a very unique environment uh something obviously that I I experienced and I enjoyed but I didn't It wasn't the perfect fit for me.
0: And do you find that it's a male-dominated field?
2: Oh, oh my gosh, 100%. It is very male-dominated. I had one other girl in my training class with me, and when we went through training, there were no, I mean, I do not remember any female instructors. Um, We, I do not even remember barely that many females down in down at FLETC when we were down there. Uh, there were obviously females in the other federal organizations that were training down there, so like ICE trains down there, um, Capitol Police trains down there at FLETC. So there were obviously, you know, women going through training, but because we were Secret Service, we were in a different training group, and so there were very, very few women.
0: Yeah, because I was thinking, like, you know, just of seeing them on TV or whatever, like, I don't, you know, it's generally men that are um, Mm -hmm. secret service agents. So did you find that, um, you know, you were accepted pretty much?
2: No. So that's kind of when I talk about my background in college going through the book, and then I talk about when I actually get through all the process of, you know, the polygraph and everything. And I am accepted into the Secret Service. Well, the minute I walked onto the campus, I mean, this technician had it out for me. I mean, he literally, want, He looked at me and he was like, "She's not cut out to be Secret Service um, uniform division. She's not. She's not going to make it through." And I mean, he had me stereotyped from the very beginning, and immediately. Put me up against the biggest guy in the class he put me in situations that nobody else had to be put in uh, because he was literally trying to fail me and i thank goodness figured this out and was able to dig down deep and try to get that inner my inner self that i i didn't want to come out but i had to because you know if i didn't successfully go through get through training and graduate um, you know, I wasn't going to be the Secret Service. So I had to dig down really deep and I had to find a strength inside me that I didn't know I had, to be honest with you. And I had to prove him wrong. And I had to prove to him that, you know what, I don't care what you think about me. You can think I'm just because I walked in with two pink Barrett Bradley bags to training does not mean you can discriminate against me. <laughs> so I and I proved him wrong. And I, I he put me in some of the toughest situations. He made me write memo after memo. Um, and I you know I graduated. So I definitely think that they're I because the most of the girls and I don't I, I don't want to say anything rude or mean, but most of the girls are um, more they're they're bigger and stronger. They, you know, don't really like to wear makeup. Um, they, they were just the polar, complete opposite of me, right. and um, so I was, I was an anomaly, and I really stood out. And I think that for them, they, they didn't like that. They, you know, and I also, I wasn't very good at just saying, yes, sir, no, sir, and it was a military environment, so that, that's not a good thing, because I'm the type of person I, I've always thought for myself. So you tell me to do something, but if I'm questioning it, I'm going to think through that and be like, I don't understand why this, why that? And they despise that. That was something, they just wanted me to say yes or no, sir. And I, I was horrible at that. I, I would always question things and I just, because I was, I wanted to know the right answer, (laughs) not just what I'm being told. And uh, so it was just a lot of that kind of stuff that I was constantly being thrown under the bus. Um, and writing memos and all that just because of who I was, so.
0: Well, did you ever come close to quitting and saying, you know, I can't handle this?
2: You know, I don't think, I don't think that ever really went through my head that it was an option to quit. I mean, once I had gone through the vetting process, I mean, I had to apply nine months before college ended. So, I mean, I'm doing this application process that takes days and hours and putting all this information together and I just and once I went through the polygraph which is you know hell on earth and you have to go through background checks and these in intensive um, questioning that you have to go through and you have to go through this testing and well, I don't think quitting was ever an option I think I wanted to prove to my family I wanted to prove to my you know my well my husband but my fiancee at the time I wanted to prove to everybody that I could do it that I had set out to be an FBI agent, and even though this is the Secret Service, I was gonna do it.
0: So when you did make it, did the mean technician person, um, did you see them again?
2: So I did not ever see him again, but he did see me at graduation. Um, and in the book, he I actually quote what he said to me, and he basically said, you know, congratulations. He's like, you did it. And he, he literally said, I never thought you would make it this far. You know, I never thought you would make it to this point. I mean, and I, I mean, it was a backhanded compliment, but hey, I was really excited to hear that (laughs) For me, I was like, oh yes, like win, win, win. But in reality, you know, that was really, he slapped me in the face just again when I'm leaving. So (laughs) it's all how you look at it. I decided if I look at everything in a positive light, anything can look really good, so.
0: Well, I'm thinking it definitely showed him, you know, mm-hmm. that he was wrong to that's right. um, to assume something about you just based on the way you looked. Yep. Um,
2: so. And that's why I think the book is just so important because I think it just shows that I know all these people, you know, in the world we just we have all these stereotypes and we have so much going on that it's like we don't I feel like if we don't we can disprove those stereotypes by being like hey look what you thought of me you know you thought I was this dumb blimp, blimp blonde and guess what I wasn't I proved you wrong I was strong I was tough I graduated um, there's something inside you that just clicks and you're just you're so happy and you're so proud of yourself because they put you down constantly they try to basically discriminate against you and you're but you prove them wrong and so I I feel like it's just it's so much so empowering especially for women men even if even if they're in an environment that you know where they feel like they're being discouraged or look you know being taunted or anything like that Um, just being tough and and withstanding and getting through it and proving yourself I think is just I don't know looking back I think that was one of my biggest accomplishments it's just proving to him that I could do what I I did
0: so what made you want to write the book um this is your first book is that correct and
2: that is correct yes okay this is my first book um so gosh, how many years ago was it I think it's a probably maybe five years ago my dad just was like Lauren you have a really unique background you need to write a book he's like you know you just have a lot of stuff that you've you've gone through and you should do this I'm like laughing at him I'm like dad I can't write I'm not going to be able to do this no one's gonna care um and he he mentioned it a few more times and then he dropped it um it was a year almost a year and a half ago uh when i I, we were down in florida naples florida and i was down there with my parents and my son and i we were just talking and i had some downtime it's like i think i'm gonna write the book that we always talked about that and he's like Okay, whatever. Like, you know, cause he didn't really believe me because he had told me like five years before to write it. And he was like, whatever. And I just started typing. I mean, every memory, every thought, every story, and I didn't stop. And like I said before, when I set my mind on something, I'm not very good at changing my mind. I mean, once I've set my mind, it is like I am, I am going down that route. So I did exactly that. Um, I kept writing and writing and writing. I, once I was done writing, I hired a professional editor, and then he went with me through every chapter, and I then I re-edited the chapters he edited, uh, and then we kind of went from there, and we just worked together to get the finished product, and then I designed the cover of the book myself as well, um, and then went through a printing press and printed the books myself.
0: Wow. And so it sounds like your dad, again, is... Um you know, very instrumental or a big influence. um,
2: He is. He's been a very big, um, he, he's been very successful. He's very motivated with his career and what he's done in life. Um, and he's always been there for my sister and I, even though he's been busy and he's always been a very hard worker, he definitely showed us what hard work is. And same with my mom, my mom, even though she's been a stay-at-home mom our whole life, like she did work when we were younger, but she. Is the epitome of hard work. I mean, she does everything herself. She takes care of everything. I mean, she can like hang a light, hang picture. I mean, she can literally do it all. I'm like, do. Does your energy ever fade? Because sometimes I just want to watch a TV show. Like, can you ever do that? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, my dad just. My dad was more the encourager because he wanted my sister and I to be successful and do things for ourselves. Um, he he also raised us to be very independent. He, you know, he knows, we're both married now. But he also knows that you know you are dependent on your husband, but at the same time, he's like, you still need to be independent. You still need to be able to take care of yourself if anything were to ever happen. And he, he, he just taught us how to do that. Um, you know, and my mom has severe independence too. Like she's so good at taking care of herself and then being there for the family as well. So it's just one of those things that I just learned through, I guess, life. And he was just a good example of hard work and dedication and he also knows me very well meaning he knows when i'm excited about something and i set my mind to something like it's gonna go 110 percent uh and he he knows that so he knows that right now when i said that about the book and he actually started seeing it come to fruition and he was reading all the like little chapters and stuff i started putting together he he knew that this was going full force so (laughs) he was very very proud he's read this book so many times i can't even tell you
0: So did you find the memories, um, they come back easily once you started writing?
2: Actually, yes. So I was struggling for a little bit. Like, they just flowed, and they just kept coming. And then I'd put something else together, and all of a sudden another memory would come back. And honestly, that was my biggest fear about writing. It's that I was never going to remember all of the memories and all the things that that we went through. I did go back to some of my Secret Service buddies, and I did ask them for – Um, A few stories that they remembered, things that stuck out in their minds um, from training and everything or the White House. So, you know, I did include some of those in there as well and intertwined them into the story. That's why this is not a memoir. This is technically a nonfiction humor um, because some of the facts have been edited and, and ramped up for the viewer's enjoyment. So it's not a memoir, but it is based on a true story in my life.
0: So, could you share with us maybe one of the funny stories that, or humorous things that happened?
2: I mean, I can. I can read one. I mean, do you want me to? Uh, you want me to share the story? Do you want me to read it from the book? Um, Matt, do
0: you have a preference?
1: Uh, no, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, whatever's yeah. whatever's easier.
0: with us. We'll just be happy to hear it.
2: Um, let's see which one. Uh, I'm thinking, let's see. Um, I think we should do the, I can do the wrestle me some respect. So this is about the technician who put me up against everybody in the class. And obviously he put me against the biggest guy in the class. But then this time, this was a scenario where you had to get through this situation. um, And if you did not pass and do your mat training, and all that correctly then you would not graduate so i can read this chapter it's only it's a, just a couple pages is that okay with you or yeah that's fine
0: sure yeah we, we haven't had a book reading yet so that's great
2: <laughs> all right so everyone feels great when they throw the winning punch but what happens when you're the one being knocked down it sucks on my first day of mat training i was nervous i had zero experience with combat fighting wrestling karate jiu-jitsu i never say that word boxing, or any other types of self-defense techniques. Except for the time a guy threw me into a locker in middle school, and I kicked his ass. Well, kicking his ass might be a little strong. Stripping him in the hallway later counts? (laughs) Hiding my nerves, ponytail bouncing, I walked confidently into the mat room, training session ready to fight. The first round had just ended. I was encouraged to see we would be wearing a padded protection suit. I mean, how bad could it be when you're protected by a suit? Just then, my classmate strolled over, took off his gear, And handed it to me. Here you go, Leslie He said. On the outside stood an empowered woman, grabbing the suit and putting it on. But on the inside, I was gagging, about to throw up. Are you kidding me? I have to wear his sweaty, nasty gear? Seriously? I just couldn't think about it. I had to get through this, so I pushed it from my mind and put on the suit. Oops, I thought this was the other chapter. Sorry about that. (laughs) I thought this was the rest. Um. Okay, I think it is. Hang on. All right. So I felt lucky to be paired up with the only girl in my class. I figured. We would go easy on one another, you know, help a sister out until I learned she had come from a four year term with the army while I came straight from college. She had done karate at a younger age and well, I was just a runner and it turned out she was one mean girl. We stood there in full sweaty gear, hands up, feet planted firm, waiting for the instructor to yell, go. The second those two letters left his mouth, the mean girl threw an uppercut to my face. I could feel my neck crack and my teeth slammed together, even through the mask. She blocked every punch I threw, and every punch she threw, I blocked none. I was getting slaughtered and wasn't liking it one bit. I felt I had I felt bad punching my classmate, especially another girl. But then I was knocked down and the round was over. Furious, I grabbed some water and rested. My mind was racing. If I wanted to earn that badge and gun, my aim would have to get better, my punches harder, and my mind stronger. On to round two, immediately the instructor said, Go. I threw a cross punch, knocking the in girl's head back quickly followed by an uppercut straightened her chin. Jen unknowingly taught me, and I was using her own strategy against her. As we went along, she was caught off guard and stumbled backwards. She fired back, but my forearm was quicker, blocked and then blocked again. It was exhilarating. I was encouraged by each winning shot I threw. Who knew punching someone in the face could be this fun? The test was obvious. More training was needed if I was ever going, ever going to defend myself against an assailant. More training, more intensity, and more strength building. Think Taibo. We were partnered up, throwing punches in a sit-up position. As we lifted our backs off the ground, our instructor yelled, double cross punch. I pounded my gloves into my partner's hands. I punched her right twice and left once. But before our backs had even touched the ground, the instructor yelled out, cross punch. I sat up, pounded my gloves into my partner's left, then right hand. We did this over and over again until my arms felt weak and my stomach burned. After we got to her classmates a few more times we moved on to handcuffing phew i was finally getting a break from the pounding punching and crunching of her body but to my dismay i was paired up with the mean girl she doesn't give anyone a break especially me and i had just pissed her off i dreaded what was about to come while practicing her handcuffing techniques she would violently rip my wrist behind my back her hand twisting my skin creating an indian burn i winced in pain with my arm behind my back, she raised the handcuff, slamming the metal straight into, onto my wrist bone every single time. My rest, wrists were red, raw, bruised, and cut. It hurt so bad, I gritted my teeth and compartmentalized the pain until the lesson finally ended. Talk about excessive force. Someone not naming names would end up on Channel 7 in her future for police brutality. But for now, I had to be tougher than her. Thank God the worst was over, or so I thought. Getting on someone's bad side is never a good thing. But getting on the bad side of a badass, emotionless tech- secret service technician was a whole new problem. This technician, who we will call the mean technician, didn't think I deserved to be in secret service. The minute he set eyes on me in my pretty pink bags, he had me pinned as a dainty, unqualified trainee that would never pass. Unfortunately, he mistook beauty for weakness, Boy, was that a mistake. The mean technician paired each person up with a partner. I assumed the mean girl and I would be partners for life, but instead, he ca- paired me up with the biggest guy in the class weighing in at a whopping 310 pounds and a height of 6 foot 5 inches. He'd be battling me, a girl who weighed a mere 120 pounds and stood a full foot shorter than him. Can you see it now? My, pa- my task was to put this large, muscular man in a chokehold. I could barely get my arm around his neck before he bent his knees, twisted his body slightly, and sent me flying over his shoulder. My body slammed onto the ground, knocking the air out of me. Restless, I lay there until the mean technician came out, over shouting, Get up now! Do it again! And this went on for hours. Think he couldn't get any worse? Well it did. I had to turn around and do the exact same thing to him. I glanced around the room as I caught my breath and noticed something very peculiar. Every one of my classmates was paired with people of similar statue. They weren't being slammed from six feet high or being knocked out of breath every time they landed on the ground. They were easily learning a new defensive move a typical trainee would endure, which meant little to no harm to their bodies, while I, on the other hand, was catching my breath and could barely move after each set. I was enraged. Once I caught my breath, I made a promise to myself that no matter what this mean technician threw at me, I would fight harder. I was going to be resilient. He would not break my spirit, even if he broke my bones. And thank God, I never broke any bones. I had be one step ahead, no matter how hard he pushed me. So on to the hand-to-hand combat scenario. Each trainee in- entered a pitch black room with a flashlight alone. Our objective was to clear the room. But in the dark lurked barriers and salience. Split-second decisions, strength, and efficiency were key. The situation was nerve-wracking. If you didn't pass, you didn't graduate. And it was my turn. I walked into the dark room with flashlight, with my flashlight and weapon out in front of me. I yelled, this is the police. Come out with your hands up. I took another step forward, sweeping my flashlight to clear the space. Is anyone in here? No response. I had cleared the first barrier. I slowly crept forward as I turned right to clear the next barrier. I gasped. I felt a huge weight crash into me from the left, knocking me to the ground. I scrambled to get my bearings. I couldn't see, he was on top of me. It was heavy and strong. I used my pelvis to lift him enough to wrap my legs around his waist. My goal was to get on top. I held him in place with my legs until I could get into the right position to roll him on his back. I flipped him, I put my forearm hard against his neck and my legs putting pressure on his thighs, holding him in place. My left hand reaches across his body, grabs his wrist, ripping him over on his back. I immediately pulled my handcuffs from my gun belt bringing one arm at a time to the small of his back. I locked them on. I let out a huge sigh of relief. I had won. My heart was beating, my mind was racing, but my training came out on top. The realization hit me as soon as the lights went on. I had just wrestled the lead technician. Too many emotions went through, through were going through me on the inside as a sly smile crossed my face. He didn't say a word. The look on his face told me everything I needed to know. He was impressed. The day was over. I was on cloud nine, but with any excitement and training comes the realization that you aren't done. I could fail at any time, and I still had a lot more to prove. That was uh, chapter, which
0: chapter was that? Chapter 11. Wow, that um, really like makes you feel right there in that moment with you, and I can only imagine how good that must have felt.
2: Oh, did. Yeah, that high. And, and I felt like that chapter really helped describe um, everything we've kind of talked about through this podcast about, like, you know, overcoming those obstacles and proving yourself and digging deep within yourself. I mean, even the girl was against me, um, as you could see in that chapter. You right. know, she she pushed, pushed she had to because she was a female in a male dominated environment. She had to prove herself as well and so she when we were paired up together you would think you'd go easy on each other but instead she went full force because she was like well i'm just going to make her look really bad so that i look even better <laughs> right so yeah so i was battling everybody it felt like
0: oh it's, well i mean to me there's a lot of motivation and life lesson uh lessons that people can take away from just that chapter of you know, proving yourself, finding yeah. out this inner strength that you have that you might not have known had things been easier.
2: Exactly. No, you're exactly right. There, You know, when they say you have to go through a stressful situation, you never know how you're going to react. Um, you know, that people react in all different ways. Uh, sometimes they they surprise themselves, and other times they surprise themselves the opposite way, where they they clam up and they. You know don't do what they think they should have done um, and I think that all of us can I think it's inside everybody to to fight and to prove yourself and to know that you know every single person has such a good worth and that we're you know if we're just here um, on this earth if we could just help one another you know instead of putting each other down and discouraging each other and you know, trying to be better than one another, like helping each other, help each other put one foot in front of the other. You know, I'm, I'm so big on networking and talking to other people because, you know, you just never know what's going to come back for you. You know, and yeah. I, I believe in karma and just good, good deeds, I do believe are rewarded. And I just think that, you know, if we can help one another. No matter if you're, I'm not. I'm nothing right now. But if somebody comes and asks me about writing a book, I would sit on the phone for hours and talk to them and give them advice and tell them what I did. Now they don't have to listen to that. They can take it with a grain of salt. But I just believe that if we're here to help each other, that's the best we can do. So,
0: were there ever any times um, that you were terrified for your life?
2: Uh, not at the White House. Uh, thank goodness we, everything was safe and secure and um, I was never terrified once I was at the White House. Uh, everything was really good while I was there. There were some situations in training um, that you, I mean, even that situation, you're going in a dark room with a flashlight, um, you know, your, your nerves are on, like, I mean, I, I, you feel like you can, your heart could jump out of your skin at any time. You're, you're very nervous and you're very scared. Um, I think I tried to hide that as much as I possibly could to not let anyone see any type of weaknesses that I have. And I think I kind of do that to this day as well. I'm very good at hiding weaknesses and hiding things, and I'm like, okay, I'll deal with that later. (laughs) And I think you kind of have to do that in secret service, like any type of training, because it's like if they see that, they're going to exploit that weakness. And I think the technician thought that he could exploit my weaknesses because, you know, I was smaller than everybody in the class, and he thought he could just pull these things out and be like, oh, well, gosh, I'll just, you know, she's tiny, she's not good at this, she's not good at that. Okay, I'm going to pull her out and make her have, you know, a way tougher situation than everybody else has, because he thought he could exploit me that way and make me fail and, and make me feel like a failure, basically.
0: Wow, so a poker face you would have <laughs> to have for all of this, I That's think. That's right.
2: Yes, even if you're you're shaking and you're nervous inside, that's exactly, it's it's that poker face mentality, and then you can, and then it's like, okay, I'll deal with this later, just get through this situation and be as tough as you can right now. (laughs) Well, Matt, what do you think about all of this?
1: There's a lot of good, a lot of good lessons to be learned there, and, uh, you know, it seems like you went through a lot of... uh, uh, You learned a lot about yourself going through the training, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty interesting. I do have one question. I do have one question, though. Um, When you got out of training, you were talking about how the technician, uh, you know, how he, um, you know, kind of. Maybe
2: backhanded compliment? (laughs) Well, no, how
1: he kind of singled you out through training. And I was just wondering, like, when you got out of training, I mean, how different was it? Like, were was everybody supportive, or did you still find that there were still guys who were kind of like, uh, you know, a woman doing this job and that sort of So thing? my
2: classmates were completely supportive. Now, I was young. So I was 23 when I was in the Secret Service. So I was young. I was naive. I mean, obviously, I didn't even experienced the world, really. This was my first career out right. of college. So I, they played practice. They supported me and loved me, obviously. but. They put, they pulled practical jokes on me all of the time. <laughs> they, you know, so I was the butt of all their jokes, even when I was at the White House. Um, but they, but they didn't discriminate discriminate against me like the main technician did. He had it out for me from the way beginning. Right. Once you got through training and you got to the White House, it didn't, that didn't happen as much. Um, I kind of, the stories are in the book, but I kind of got myself into trouble. I did situations, I did things that were just kind of stupid and you would think that anyone in the right mind would not do that, but <laughs> I did. But You know, again, it's a learning situation, <laughs> a learning right. curve for someone as naive as I was. Uh, but no, they were very supportive once I got to the White House. Okay. I didn't feel like I encountered any of the same things I did going through, that I did going through training.
1: Okay, because usually, you know, well, not usually, but you always hear stories about how, you know, in a male dominated,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, profession like that, where they're not as accepting of women as maybe they could
2: be? (laughs) They're not. Um, And that that is the, that's the hard part is, um, I guess that's why I, I, my emotions are so strong is because it doesn't phase me. Like, I mean, we, these guys would say whatever they wanted in front of you. Like, it didn't, I felt like a guy basically, like I was one of the boys. Um, So I never, I guess that's why I never felt. Um, put down. I felt like if I was going to be one of the boys and I didn't get offended by anything that they said, I would fit in. And it kind of worked for me. I've heard stories from my girlfriends where it actually is the opposite. When they tried to act more like those guys, they actually got more discriminated against. Hmm. This was, for me, when I acted more like the guys, um, it was more like, hey, buddy, buddy, I could talk to her about anything because She's one of our buddies. Right. Um. So I didn't. I didn't encounter that. Now, now again, I could have been very naive, and I could have overlooked all that, and I, they could have been doing that, and I would have been like, whatever, they left me. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my personality. <laughs> so honestly, the only the only person who really stood out was this technician, um, that really had it out for me. So.
1: So what ultimately made you leave the Secret Service? I'm just curious about that.
2: Yeah. Um. I was overworked underpaid uh, exhausted Um, it's a lot of shift work it's a lot of um, just you're like I told you before you're in a box and you're rotating shifts and then they'll call you you know for midnight shift and you're barely sleeping and Hmm. uh, I was newly married I had just gotten married while I was in the Secret Service actually when I was at the White House so I'd gotten through training and everything Uh, and it was just very it was very hard uh, you know, I eventually wanted to be a mom, and I knew, I thought, you know, they always say women can do anything they want, and and we can. Right. But at the same time, it is very hard. It's much much harder for a woman to have a family and everything else being in an environment like this, and also, you know, the. The affair rate and all that when, you, when people would travel uh, was is very high with any law enforcement career, whether right. it's federal or just local that, you know, so I didn't really go on any trips. I didn't travel. I didn't want to put myself in those situations. And I just, you know, I wanted to kind of, I just, I kind of got bored. But my mistake that I made was I took a job too fast so that I could leave the Secret Service. Um, quicker. Hmm. So that was and that story's in the book as well. <laughs> but I, I I think I may I think I jumped the gun and I think I if I had just been more patient, which at twenty three, I don't think you're a very patient person at all. Yeah. Uh, if I had just been a little bit more patient, I think I could have waited a little bit longer and then gone straight into government consulting, which is what I ended up doing anyway. Mm -hmm. you can use your you know I used my government um, top-secret SCI clearance to do government consulting up in Virginia Mm -hmm. and if I had just waited a little bit longer and held out I think I could have gotten um, you know straight into that but instead I made a little maneuver that taught me even more about discrimination but from women to women side of things (laughs) so so I I've encountered a lot of that in my life and um, and that's honestly why I wrote the book because I just think you learn so much from that. And like I said before, if we can just help one another out instead of like always throwing each other under the bus to get ahead, I think the world would be so much better of a place.
1: I agree. So, Yeah. So are you in the the Virginia area now still?
2: No, I moved back to Georgia. So I was up in Virginia for nine years. Mm -hmm. And then I had my son. And I um, I wanted to raise them here in Georgia where my whole family is. Oh, okay. So we're back here in Georgia. And we've been down here for about six and a half years, I think.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, used to, I, I used to live up there, too. I was in Northern Virginia for a few years in the Reston area right outside of D.C. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, the Reston area. We were in Falls Church. We were at K. Tyson's Corner Mall. Oh,
1: okay, so. yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, so we were right there and um, we loved it when we were first married. But having kids up there is a whole different ball game and I I wanted to raise my kids in the south. Yeah. So I was like, All right, we're moving back downhill, down home. Down back down south. <laughs> it's ridiculously
1: expensive there now.
2: Oh, we would have had to commute two hours each way easily just to afford a tiny little house. <laughs> yeah. um, and we both were very we're both anti commuters. We just like we would rather live in somewhere smaller yeah. and commute the least amount of time possible.
1: Yeah, I should adopt that mentality. I'm currently driving two hours one way to work.
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot. You're not working from home now?
1: Uh, No, actually. we are back in the
2: office? Oh, good.
1: Yeah. My
2: husband's back in the office, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think during the whole pandemic thing, I've only been home, like, three weeks out of all of it. That's
2: nice. So, see, me, too. I only work part-time, so... Uh, same thing I would so I was able to keep a lot of normalcy. I mean, I wrote my book during the quarantine and stuff as well and mm-hmm. um, but I felt like I was able to keep a normal lifestyle, which helped me mentally so much because I am a very big extrovert. I love people. I love talking to people um, and that was tough for me very, very tough. Yeah. So when everything got shut down and my tenants was canceled and everything, I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? I'll talk to my husband.
1: Like, oh, no. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can't be quarantining this house with my family every day.
1: <laughs> I love them, but not that much.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, we're used to doing our own things and we have dinner together at night. There you go. That's, yeah. You know what it's like. Yeah, I'm used to having to house myself because my kid's hmm. in school, my husband's at work, I have my three dogs and my cat, you know? Yeah. So, hmm. we, yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of fun down here, though. We kind of, like, live in the country a little bit, Again, we're close to everything. So it's the like, best of both worlds.
1: So what what have you, um, I guess, what have you learned through the process of writing the book? I mean, I know, like, the, you know, just going back through all the memories and stuff you learned, you know, you learned from that and obviously learned while you're going through it. But I mean, writing a book is a huge undertaking. I mean, did it, was it like everything you thought it would be or?
2: It was really hard. I mean, there are days I, I wanted to quit, okay. honestly. I mean, and I, of course I, I quitting is not in my nature. So I was like, you can't do that. But there were, I mean, I would read, 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 reread, edit. To the point where I was like, I can't make this better. That's why I hired a professional editor. Um, because I just knew I wasn't going to make it better just myself. Right. Um, I'll tell you, the biggest thing I learned through this book, writing this book, laughter. Yeah. Laughing at yourself. Um, my husband really did not want, he was like, are you sure you want to put this out there? Like, people are going to think you're the dumbest person in the world. People are going <laughs> to think, like, you make all these mistakes that you literally are, you know, a blonde. Which I am a blonde, but like, you know what I'm saying, stereotypical blonde. And um, I, but I, I was like, yes, I do. Because writing the book helped me figure out everything, all the mistakes and everything that I did and all the obstacles I overcame. It helped me realize that we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to make dumb choices in life. We're all going to veer off the path and then come back on the path. Every single person, not just me. Um, and so I think... When I wrote this, it just all came to basically a head, and, and I was like, this is this is me laughing at myself, mm-hmm. but allowing, opening up, and allowing other people to laugh with me and at me, and to me, I love that, because I think so many people are going to learn through this book that, um, you know, when we make mistakes, like kids, you know, they'll, they'll lie, or they'll, They'll, they'll hide something because they don't want you to know about it. But in, in reality, own up to it. There are consequences. You're going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. They call them memos I wrote in the book. But when you look back 20 years, 15 years down the road, it's nothing in the scheme of things. You grew. You learned. But being able to laugh at those mistakes because and learning from those mistakes, that is what it's all about. And that's what I got from writing this book. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted people to laugh with me and at me. Because I think people are going to learn that it's okay to open yourself up to criticism. And it's okay to open yourself up to other people. And people are going to hate. It's just part of it. But people are also going to be really complimentary. And people are also going to understand and really relate to it. And I think that's what I discovered when I was writing the book.
1: Okay. Um, So what's next for you? I mean, you've written a book and, uh, you know, you have a family and... I know you're pretty so, busy, and
2: yeah, I do a lot right now. Um, I'm really signing myself up for lots of podcasts, radio shows. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, my goal is to turn this into a Netflix series or Amazon series or some type of TV show or movie, whichever one I can do. Um, that is my ultimate goal. So I'm even talking to production companies, and I mean, I'm just I'm networking a lot. Mm-hmm. So i would that's what i would like to do honestly um i'm still doing book signing gigs and i'm i'm doing a lot of that as well um but ultimately i'd like to network and figure out how i can get it on into a tv series
1: wow that's awesome yeah a a lofty goal for sure i mean you know it's uh... oh it
2: is a lofty goal i've been hearing that from everybody (laughs) that's awesome and i can see it as a netflix series everyone who reads it says that but then getting into that person's hands is so difficult. I mean, even production people I've talked to, they're like, you know, you can have friends who can recommend you, but you still have to, like, get that interview. So, you know, I'm just... I'm going 110%. (laughs) (laughs) It'll probably take five or ten years, but it's going to get there.
1: (laughs) What does your husband think about your your goal of a Netflix series and all that?
2: He's completely supportive. I think he's over the fact that I, you know, I've already... I'm an open book and I've already put myself out there. Um, and everyone, you know, has been pretty complimentary about the book so far. And I think he's kind of like, that's just who she is. I mean, he's known that, but then it's like, he's very, you know, more closed and I'm very open book. So it's taken him a lot to be able to understand and accept this. And I think, but also putting in the book that this is based on a true story that people don't know what's facts and fiction, um, in or truth. And, um, yeah. yeah, fiction in the book I think that that helped a little bit as well so it didn't make it kind of gave people like ooh, they're questioning this and they question that you know it, it yeah. gets a little mystery and I like that about the book
1: so did was there ever like something that you wrote that you wrote because I've had this issue like uh mm-hmm. I wrote something and um it was like well I can't say that because like there's going to be other people who you know like exactly
2: yeah oh yeah yeah there's there's stuff that um i didn't write anything too bad actually um when i was talking to people at work who are completely they are not pc at all uh they just say whatever's coming out of their spews out of their mouth um they you know they're like you gotta put this in the book and that in the book and i'm like guys, that's funny when you're talking about it here in the office. I said, but I cannot put that in the book. I was like, are you kidding me right now? You're even suggesting that? Um, There was, I think there was one thing in the book that actually is in there now, and I think it was in the chapter I read where it's like, where she, the girl, the mean girl is fighting me or um, doing the handcuffs, and it's like, come on, help a sister out. And and I kind of did the slang, and I had a, um, when I was going through, like kind of interviewing editors to help me um, and writers to help me, one girl uh, literally was like, you can't say things like this. And I'm like, but that's not I was like, that's not, I'm not cutting on anything. That's just like, help me out as a girl. Like, aren't we sisters? Like, you know, we're both females. We're helping each other out. Um, But the editor that I ended up choosing working with me, he didn't see anything. And He's written a couple books and everything, and he didn't see anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. So so there were a few things that um, stood out like that, but I, I didn't really cut too much because I didn't – I tried not to put anything in there. Like, my editor would kind of put some harsher cuts words in there, and I was like, listen, that's just not me. Like, that doesn't sound like me. I got to take those out, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm trying yeah. to make this, like, PG, okay? <laughs> <laughs> does
1: that sound familiar, yeah. Kat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it does.
2: Yeah. So. so, I mean, you know, you want it to be acceptable for uh, the majority of people yeah. reading it and um yeah so i do not want it to just sound like me too i didn't want to sound you know right. like potty mouth or anything
1: like that yeah. uh, i was just wondering if there were like any stories that you had written that you didn't make the cut because you were just like oh well no i don't want to say that cuz some you know if i like i don't know no like i like like i didn't cut any
2: story yeah like i some... just edited the story to make it okay okay you know what i'm saying so yeah. but i didn't cut a story yeah I mean, I didn't no, nothing I can think of that I cut at all. Um, my dad, it's really funny, my dad wanted me to cut the the law firm chapter, which is called the name of that chapter is called Kiss My Ass and Company. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he he wanted me to cut that chapter really bad, and I said, but it's part of my story and it's part of my life, and I go, I gotta I gotta keep it in there. Right. I was like it's just it's part of me, and it was such a self-discovery. And I needed it in there, so that was something we had a we had to tug of war about. And I was like, "Sorry, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go with my my thinking here." <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Um. So, if people want to get a hold of you, or actually, two things. Um. Mm-hmm. Do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share?
2: Oh my gosh, I feel like I've done so much talking. I don't. I feel like I've shared so much. Oh. Uh, about yep. what the book's about. Um, thank you for letting me even read a chapter. Uh, I think that's really fun for people to hear what the yeah. book's about too, what they're getting into before they you know, purchase a copy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on my website. So all of my social media handles are on my website at talkbackbarbie.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then my email is at gmail.com as well. All that, you can find all of that on my website.
1: Awesome. All uh, right, Kat, do you have any last thoughts?
0: I, I just want to thank you for being a guest today on Backstory Sessions and, you know, telling the backstory of your book and also of your life. Um, it's very intriguing and I think it'll be very motivating to a lot of people out there, especially young women um, who maybe are thinking of entering this field or another mm-hmm. field that is not predominantly female, um, right. so I um, and, and also doing this with laughter, even though it's about serious tough
2: moments,
0: and <laughs> yes. I think that to be applauded as well, so I really look forward to, to reading the book, and I'm glad you've been our guest
2: today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to be able to speak with y'all, and y'all had wonderful questions. It just felt like I was talking to friends.
1: Great. Well, we try and try and make people comfortable. <laughs> sometimes it <laughs> works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> All they right. Are wonderful. <laughs> <You> can <laughs> read rip- us
0: mad, and she already knows what kind of people
1: we are. <laughs> <laughs> She's probably looked us up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, or criticisms, please send the criticisms to Kat at uh, iwriteplays at outlook or you can send all the good stuff to me at uh, backstory sessions at gmail or awesome. matt at uh, level eleven ventures and we will respond and you know. Uh,
2: awesome. So. so y- so you wrote a book as well, right?
1: Uh yeah. Yeah. Um
2: And what was the name of it? It was something it was really cute.
1: Yeah, it's called Love and Jello.
2: Love and Jello. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to check that out. That <laughs> I love that title. Can you tell me a little
0: bit about it? <clears throat> there you go. Uh, okay, so um I
1: don't care. Yeah. Um so cat's mother lived in sort of it wasn't an assisted living facility. What what mm-hmm. was it Kat? Uh, like an elderly complex, you know. Okay. There okay. was so there, there like every day. Cat would, you know, Cat and I would text back and forth, and she'd be telling me these stories about, you know, all the crazy things that go on there. Um, so we had talked about it, and it, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we wrote a book with, you know, those stories in it? And um. So, uh. We were planning on doing that. We we were working on something else at the moment. And um, one weekend I sat down and I wrote the first chapter because I had never written anything before. And, you writing. know, like,
2: you. Yep. you
1: know, it was just like Kat and I had worked on some edits for a play and things like that. But, um, you know, as far as writing, I, I had never done any of it. So I was I sent it to her and I was like, well, what do you think of this? And she was like, oh, my God, you got to keep going. So and it just turned into the book and uh you know took a few months and we went through a little bit of editing and then we put it out and it seems that's to be, awesome seems to be doing good
2: how long did it take you
1: um writing wise uh, i think it couldn't have been more than a month and a half oh
2: wow oh my gosh
1: yeah you are
2: it, awesome then you're And you're meant for this, I'm such an, I'm so OCD.
1: Yeah. Well. Nothing
2: was good enough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I tried, like, when I, when I was writing it, I tried to write it like, okay, this is it. There's going to be no edits, you know, and there were really Mm -hmm. very few. Um, I did add some things, you know, a little bit of stuff for clarity and, you know, that sort of thing. Try to tie up a few loose ends, but, um i would say generally so
0: I, my mom would read the chapter each time when he would write one and i'd send it to her and she'd be like now he needs to do this because that's <laughs> you know so right her own still on even though we like fictionalized the characters uh, <laughs> still a lot of you know truth to them as well
2: right that's
0: yeah
1: awesome yeah it was, it, was, it was fun i had a good time writing it and like Every time I would send them a chapter, you know, I'd get, like, this feedback, like, immediately, and it was really motivating to continue with, you know, with the story. Yeah, so.
2: when the, I think positive feedback helps tremendously, and yeah. you can get that on, um, like, Amazon, and...
1: Yeah, so that's available on Amazon and Lulu and a couple other places. I don't... Don't remember awesome. where actually, but <laughs> it's around, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I see it here on yeah. Uh,
1: Amazon.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cute. That's
1: yeah. a Cute cover. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we thought it was um, who do we think it was? <laughs> Bernie Sanders and somebody else.
0: Bernie
1: Sanders.
2: Beauty. Like- that's who the um. Oh. Thing. <laughs> yeah. They <laughs> do kind of, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I love it. That's really cute. Oh well, that is well. Congratulations on that too. Oh thanks. It's we a, ha- we it's have a huge feat.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. We have um, we actually have one more that's written and uh, or almost written, and mm-hmm. um, another one that is in edits, and that one is going to be out this year. Damn it! I promised I would get it done. So. <laughs> um, oh my it's just on top of it and
2: then doing this podcast as well you do this on the side
1: yeah i mean i work full-time and you know i also we do the podcast every week and you know Mm -hmm. right when uh when there's time and uh right oh i get that yeah so we have a a million ideas on things that we want to do and uh you know eventually if i get You know, if I ever get past a two-hour commute each way, uh, (laughs) I'll have more time to do that.
2: That's a lot. I mean, that's four hours. Yeah, that's – I don't know how you do that.
1: Uh, It's, you know, you got to do what you got to do.
2: Listen, I I totally agree. You do have to do what you have to do, but, man, mentally, it's draining. uh, It's tough.
1: Well, yeah, but, I mean, in the morning – Every time
2: I commute, I'm like, oh, oh. (laughs) I get so frazzled. In
1: the morning, I get to, you know, I get to, like, I don't know, it's like me time. And then in the afternoon, like cat always calls me and keeps me awake on the ride home. And we talk about a lot of stuff and, you know, come up with some ideas. And so it's pretty good.
2: That is true. Actually, being in the car when it's quiet or just listening to music, it is a really good time to come up with different ideas. Yeah. That's a good thinking time.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, now I if, I, if I could figure out how to do like uh, speech to text, I mean, I could actually use that time for writing.
2: <laughs> there you go. Oh, I wish. Right? Yeah, I do that on my phone all the time. I push the little button, and I'm like, yeah. I'll start getting thoughts or something in my head, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I better write that down. Yeah. Because if I if I get five more minutes, I'm totally gonna forget. Yeah. But. Well, guys, it was great talking to y'all.
1: Yeah, you too. I wish you uh, continued luck with the book you and uh, Netflix or wherever you end up. And uh, I have no doubt that you'll be there
2: someday. Yeah, one of these days. There's a lot of networking and a lot of talking. Yeah. yeah. I got. I got. I got a handle on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, don't forget your old buddies at Backstory Sessions, because yeah. You know. Yeah, we will not.
2: <laughs> I appreciate your time. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, y'all have a great night, okay? And enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right. Thanks. You You too. too. Bye. Take care. You too.